The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome everybody. You're watching Sportbox. In your headlines this hour, the S&P 500 snaps a four-week rally while Treasury yields rise ahead of the key central bank summit in Jackson Hole, Wyoming this week. China cuts its benchmark lending rates as Beijing moves to revive an economy shaken up by rising coronavirus numbers and a property sector crisis. Uh, Russia preparing to halt natural gas supplies to Europe for another three days, this time at the end of the month, citing, yeah, wait for it, planned maintenance. Uh, piling, of course, more pressure on the region ahead of winter, which is coming. Cineworld uh, reportedly preparing to file for bankruptcy as a lack of blockbusters leaves theatre seats empty. That's cinemas to you and I. Whilst streaming giants HBO Max and Amazon position themselves for a crucial three weeks with key releases due. I understand it's Hobbits versus Dragons. So this is a pretty rare occurrence, isn't it, in the history of uh, Sportbox like over the last few weeks? 22 absolutely. days into August, and the first 20, time we sat down together. Absolutely. Phenomenal. Do you know what? Um, I, I have licence now to just shoot the breeze with you, muck around, right. talk about life and do whatever I want. Do you know why? Go on. Because no matter what the rundown says, and you know, we have this thing called a rundown, um, where it's min the minutiae every second where you and I speak. Yeah. We're supposed to be kind of covering it yeah. in the corners of the rundown. This is the story count. These are the number of the stories. Story count, very important to senior management. The they love you to get to Absolutely. all the stories. But do you yeah. know for a fact, I, I, I got accosted. I went to a major sporting event where England were right. rubbish the last few days. Okay. A very, very place dear to me. And I got accosted mm. by many, many people mm. genuinely who said how much they've enjoyed you and I mucking oh, around great. for years that's, and do you know what they good. said go on I, I kid you not there was mm. not just one not two not three lo mm. load them said you and Jeff kept me company in COVID I said you poor blighter yes kept me company in my den kept me company mm. in, in my spare room all I could put on was squawk box yes <laughs> so so there was a lot of guys out there and to be yes. unfortunately most of them were chaps you know right we need right. more women in that demographic there's yes. no doubt about it right but but they were very very happy for our company yes yeah it, it reminds me actually of a conversation I had a long time ago with somebody who stopped me and explained that in they, Walter or Zuri? Uh, no this was in Asia right. um, who explained that they used to watch on television whilst they were having their shower and I've, I've never felt the same about the audience since then really. <laughs> You've just taken it to a whole new level. Uh, so let's talk a, a little bit about the market the week then. Ahead. Uh, For all in, those viewers who can't get enough of us. Absolutely. Yeah, well it's very nice to hear no, that there I, were all honestly, those people. I had more Good. than I've ever had in, in 20 Good. years. Right. I think we've, we've, we've blighted but people in Does COVID. that mean we're doing something right or does that mean that you were just in a particular I don't think they could get any other channel to be honest. Right, okay. <laughs> uh, the old black and white set <laughs> yeah. up. Investors, With the investors are gearing up this week then for uh, the annual Jackson Hole Summit. 
where they'll be listening out for signs from the Fed Chair Jerome Powell on just how far the US Central Bank is willing to go to bring down decades-high inflation. The event comes amid fears of a disconnect between markets and the Federal Reserve. Equities have rallied over the summer on the back of stronger-than-expected earnings and hopes that the Federal Reserve may slow its pace of rate hikes to prevent the economy from tumbling into recession. Markets are now pricing in a 50 basis point hike at the Fed September meeting and even a possible cut next year, despite comments from several officials indicating otherwise. Well, CNBC, of course, will be at the Jackson Hole Symposium in Wyoming. Coverage begins from Thursday. You ever been to the Grand Tetons? Uh, no, I haven't. You haven't had that one? No, no, no. I'd like to go though at some point. It looks but I, stunning, doesn't I, it? I think it's the US team that covers Jackson Have you, Hole primarily. Have you been to the Prairies at all, the Rockies? Uh, no, I've done both coasts, but yeah. not too much of the internal. Yeah. I did the Canadian Rockies. Yeah. It's very similar, but without the guns. Right. Um, lovely. Absolutely yeah. quite extraordinary where, where the, the Prairies <laughs> meets the Rockies. Right. No, very nice. Yeah, it's lovely. It sounds um, lovely. Kind yeah. of a Banff kind of area. Oh, you know? Banff is lovely Banff anyway, isn't and, it? Um, yeah. Calgary I went yes. to. Yeah, yeah I did Good. go to the Stampede. Yeah. Uh, this week's Jackson Hole Summit comes amid a packed week of earnings and data. Uh, pandemic favourites uh, Zoom and Peloton, well, they're not anymore, are they? Uh, both report this week, certainly the latter. Uh, did I read somewhere that Peloton's new strategy is to cut jobs, yes. cut the service, make yes. you assemble the bikes yourself and yes. charge more for it? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it. Uh, well, that's going to work. I mean, it's isn't like it? the flat pack furniture model, isn't it? What, the IKEA Peloton? In a sense, although I think IKEA generally is getting cheaper, but the idea that you basically have to do the do half the work yourself. But isn't it, isn't it ironic that this is the way of the world now, that it doesn't matter what service or what product, somehow you end up doing more of the work than you used to? Yes. Yeah. Yes, or paying more for them and to do paying, stuff that you would have had previously. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good luck to Peloton. Um, the producers just panicked because they were actually halfway through going through the wall. So we right. do it again. Pandemic, let's do it again. Why not? Let's get it into people's psyche. That's fine. Uh, pandemic favourites, Zoom and Peloton. Did I read somewhere about Peloton? No, joking. <laughs> as well as US retailers Macy's and Nordstream on Tuesday... I think they'd already done Tuesday. Uh, we'll get the first PMI readings uh, for August from across Europe and the United States. Wednesday will mark six months since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And on Thursday, did we mention that the Jackson Hole Central Bankers Summit kicks off? I think we might have done. And we'll also get the uh, second reading uh, of GDP for the last quarter, as well as IFO data out of Germany. And on Friday, attention again turns, yes, you wait for it, to Jackson Hole. Uh, where the Fed Chair Jay Powell speech uh, will uh, take place. Here in the United Kingdom, energy regulator Ofgem will announce its latest price cap review as well. What are they, I mean, I, look, it's all about, I, and I, 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 you know like you do, you don't read anything for three weeks and then you yeah. pretend you've been reading and keeping touch for the whole time. So yeah. I, I did read in quite extensively over the last couple of days and I'm like, and I, I kind of, it wasn't so much an epiphany, it was more like usual me. What on earth do they expect Jay Powell to say? What on earth is Jay Powell going to say that is different from the 20 previous times he's spoken? I.e., we are going to be uh, very sensitive to the data. We are still um, fighting this inflation scourge. We are very, very concerned about inflation. We are still very keen on the jobs picture. We think mm. that the jobs picture is still very strong. We've noticed that wages are rising, albeit at a lower level 
trouble than inflation is rising at the moment. And we hope and we expect inflation to abate at some stage, probably laced with a couple of comments that are going to say we don't see the US entering a meaningful recession. What, yep. what else is the market Ladies waiting for? Ladies and gentlemen, you can turn off your set <laughs> now for no, the rest of the seriously. week. because um, And you, you know we're going to get a violent it. move one way or the other yes. because the equity market's going to spot some tautology within there, one slight intonation different on a word, maybe an eyebrow in a Roger Moore-esque way going up at some stage. And the market will say, well, that proves that we're going to have rate cuts next year. Right. It's going to be utter nonsense. Uh, so I'll just make two points. So like you, I've been away and then I'm playing catch up. And so I did a bit of reading as well. But I sought out people that take a very different view from the Federal Reserve at the moment. So I listened to a terrific podcast uh, with Danny Blanchflower, who is a Labour economist, as Huge you know, critic. former member of the Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee, but basically works in the United States for Dartmouth College. And he says this is going to be a terrible mistake. The Federal Reserve continuing to hike rates, as other, interest, as other Western central banks are at this stage, are ultimately only doubling down on the error because what is worse for most people in societies, it is recessions and depressions. Inflation is bad, we know inflation is bad, but supply side generated inflation is a very difficult thing to deal with. So his argument at this stage, actually, the Fed and the other Western central banks should not be hiking. They should be pausing, at least, to wait and see what the result of the initial hikes have been. And in fact, if anything, he's suggesting that monetary policy should remain relatively easy or be easier from here on in, because the markets are already signaling to you that they anticipate deflation into next year. We don't know, you know when the data is going to start to turn, but his argument would be, even as we've seen higher prints um, in Europe and in the UK, the underlying growth drivers are already weakening. So a lot, of, a lot of the props of Not the economy true. are actually being kicked away at the moment. Companies are cratering their hiring How much does plans. Danny Blanchflower get paid? Well, I don't know how no. much. Quarter of a million? Right. Half a million dollars? How's that relevant to the conversation? Because wages are not supply side. That's why. Because real people well. are seeing their wages diminished aggressively, even though they're getting four, five, six percent increase in their wages at the moment. It is still less than inflation, so hence they are finding a cost of living crisis getting worse. When it gets into the system, as we know, as Danny Blanchflower knows, mm. when he was playing for Tottenham, um, or was that someone else? Yes. That was someone else. Uh, but the fact of the matter yeah. is, once it's in the system and people see their cost of living cry, go in the real world. This is the problem with too many economists we have on this channel as well. They don't go in the real world and see the crisis for real people as well. Real people are now demanding greater wages. That is not supply side. That is not about a barrel of oil. That is not about whether uh, gasoline is five bucks fourteen as it was in uh, June or whever it's three ninety eight now mm. at the pump in the United States on average. It is about everything else, which is being, you get shrinkage in your product, you're being asked to pay more for it, your energy bills have gone through the roof as well, so real people are asking for more wages as well. That ain't gonna disappear anytime soon, regardless uh, of what happens for a price of oil. The problem is, uh, you can only demand higher wages if you have a job, and if you don't have a job, because we're having a recession or a depression, then you can whistle to the wind for that extra money. And just to pick up on your point, I mean, we have had basically 
uh, falling living standards for the last two decades yep. in the Western world. Yep. And so, now you've got inflation so, so, to add on to the top so, of that. So let me finish my point. Oh, well, um, yeah. the, the point is this, that you know, 20 years ago, we should have been turning around to the uh, executives and to the shareholders and saying, you know, why don't you take a little less money and increase the salaries of the workers? Because that's the reality of the situation we're in now, that you could argue that none of these blue-collar workers have actually generated this impending um, crisis that we're approaching. But those are going to be the people who suffer the greatest pain if we actually have a serious recession at this point. So. I, don't, I just don't believe that this wage price spiral that the economists at the moment are fixated on is actually going to become embedded because <clears throat> if we have a recession, people are just going to lose their jobs. There will be no wage price spiral because there will be no people employed. And we, we will go back to unemployment numbers like we had in the uh, Thatcher era of 5, 6, 7%. Yeah, you can't have inflation and unemployment at the same time, by the way. Yeah, you can. Well, let's see if it's it materialises. You can also have a recession and deflation. And it'll be a shock to the system for those S&P 500 CEOs and the like in the yeah. FTSE and the like in the... I don't know, the CAC and the DAX, where their multiples have gone through the roof over those two decades you were yeah. talking about and back before that. Back in the 1960s, an average S&P 500 salary for a CEO was mm. roughly 20 times multiple for your average worker, yeah? It's now 324 times. I hope they're proud of themselves of what they've done there. So the question, I think, for our audience is really what they do over the course of this week. Because as you say, I think the narrative will not change. Our central banks have the bit between their teeth. As far as they're concerned, we're focused on inflation. We're not focused on growth. Maybe that's a mistake at this point, given that the, the causes of this inflation have been supply side primarily. But it's what we've said all the way through here. This is a very difficult environment to negotiate. But driving Western economies into recession may not be the answer. Yeah, but how many times have uh, central banks, and we've got to go, yeah. have refused to let the cycle happen and have now compounded all these problems with the vast Agreed. amount of debt that's been built up? Let me just remind Agreed. you as well, US inflation in July, 8.5%. <coughs> uh, what's the Fed's funds rate at the moment? Significantly lower than that, I can tell you as well. UK inflation, 10.1%. Bank of England's got a 1.75% rate. Inflation in the Eurozone, circa 9% as well. And the interest rate to accommodate that in the Eurozone... Absolutely Be zero. Before you go, though, I'm going. Take, take a look at the consumer confidence numbers Awful. in all Western... Awful. So, inflation at these levels would normally be generated by a cycle of euphoria that is caused by people who have excess capital who are putting it to work, spending, and they are driving a shortage of goods, oh, which yeah, is generating inflation. household figures so why, again. Why do we have, but why do we have cratering consumer confidence reduced hiring expectations going forward, and all of those negative numbers around the sentiment prints, whilst we have that very high inflation number, there is something that doesn't work uh, Are you sure euphoria is always accompanied by inflation spikes? I don't remember. Maybe in, in the Definitely. weird world of markets, but for consumers, inflation spikes are accompanied by euphoria? Because that, really? That euphoria, I don't remember that in the 70s. Th that euphoria is what drives ultimately the inflation number. I'll have it? to check with Dad, but I don't remember him being <laughs> euphoric at inflation in the 70s. Well, the 70s was a strange period. Well, you remember better than I do. Oh. <laughs> only just. Mm. Only just. He's only two years old. Were you two years older than me? Ish.
Uh, right, okay. NASDAQ down 2% on Friday, S&P 500 down 1.3%. We have had a four-week run to the upside, which has been great, but unfortunately just gave back a little bit. I say unfortunately, it's good to have a two-way market, trust me. Dow was down nine tenths of 1%. Actually, for the week, the moves were quite interesting. The Dow was only down two tenths of 1%. S&P was down one2 um, Nasdaq was down 26 um, Russell 2K was down 2.9%. Had quite a tough time to the upside. Treasury is very interesting. We did see some very interesting move on the dollar and on the treasuries as well. But safe to say the yield picked up. So nearly 3% again. That put on around about 10 basis points compared to where it was uh, one week ago. But very interestingly, given what Jeff was saying about people forecasting rate cuts at some stage, uh, the two-year 326 uh, and a bit of change, as I say, compared to the 10-year trading at 2.97 as well. Dollar crosses was interesting. Dollar back on the front foot. A lot of talk about parity yet again. There'll be all kinds of people getting excited about parity. And I get it. They like big round numbers. For me, it doesn't mean a thing whether it's 99.9 or 1.01. But that fact of the matter is that's roughly where we're trading uh, on the euro dollar. The pound getting an absolute drubbing again, despite the fact. What is the latest inflation rate? They've been 13%. I think they think we're going to get in the UK. Lovely. Uh, euphoria. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. 118.28 is where the sterling dollar pair is trading. Dollar yen 137. Again, getting quite close to those 138 handle levels we saw at the uh, nadir, the trough uh, of the yen quite recently. Dollar yuan stately at 6. 826. Let's have a look at some commodities as well. Been spending way too much time taking a look uh, at a few of these. Uh, we're back down to 95 handle on Brent. Uh, it's been oscillating but in a downward trend as of late. Whether it can draw a line in the sand remains to be seen. Still a lot of supply issues for refined product out there as well. Uh, WTI crude just under 90 bucks. Spot gold 17 43. Quick look at the Asian markets before Jeff tears into the next guest. Um, flat on the Hang Seng, a little bit of a decline on the Nikkei. Uh, mainland Shanghai Composite up six tenths of 1%. Isn't Gold is really doing nothing on a nothing. day when you'd expect risk aversion to drive people into safe havens. I wonder what, what Tim Edwards thinks. Tim is uh, S&P Dow Jones uh, Indices uh, guest with us this morning. Uh, Tim, nice to see you. Thanks so much for giving us your time. Well, the markets um, seem to be catching a cold this Monday morning as they look ahead to uh, Jay Powell's speech later on in the week. What do you think investors should be doing? How should they assess the week ahead? Uh, well, first of all, good good morning, and um, thanks for very very much for having me on. Um, yeah, it might it might turn out to be a bit of a, a wait and see week. Um, you mentioned the uh, the headline event probably going to be Friday with the with the kickoff of the central bankers meeting. Um, there is a generally low level of, of liquidity that we've seen in markets over the past couple of weeks. Just a seasonal effect. People are going on on holiday. Um, so I think unless you have a, a really strong conviction either way, probably best to wait and see because trading is going to cost a little bit more than normal. Has something changed in market sentiment? Um, we had a bounce off the lows and yet we seem to have had a, a rejection at the 200 day uh, moving average. Uh, what's going on with the, uh, the US market at this point? Uh, well, look, you ask three people who get three different answers. Uh, what I thought was, was interesting was uh, in the run-up that sort of began June 16th or, or thereabouts, uh, and, and equities actually clawed back quite a lot of what they'd lost uh, this year, the S&P 500 actually more than halfway back to where it began uh, the year. But the interesting thing I thought there was that it was volatility expectations, i.e. the VIX uh, coming down, that helps the market gain 
confidence. So really, it was it was taking the market was taking a sign from sentiment, taking encouragement in the the, the reduction of of hedging needs, um, and of course. You know, it, I think it's unreasonable to expect the VIX to keep going down forever. It found a lower level. It broke below 20, which you know, everyone was happy about. Uh, and I think what we have now is, all right, well, well, what's next? And what's next is actually quite a bit of uncertainty. And, and so that, that's where I see the market position quite now. That the, the good news you've kind of had, it was a decline in, in volatility expectations. Uh, and then you get to the, the kind of wait and see sentiment we started with. Tim, I hate to say it, but the VIX is one of the worst indicators of what people are going to do going forward of all time, isn't it? I mean, I traded derivatives for 11 years uh, and I never once saw the massive buyers coming in before the downtick as well. It's just a greed index, isn't it? I.e. you only take out insurance when you think you've got a bit of spare cash. Yeah, look, sometimes it leads and and sometimes uh, it lags. And and I, I know of no good way uh, to determine which way it's going to be next. But I think you, you can see that it did uh, offer a leading indicator uh, over the run-up. I mean, of course, you might also say, no, Tim, uh, it was all to do with earnings, which came in much better than expected, 75% beating expectations, and that's what really cheered the markets. I think that definitely played a part too. Uh, and that also, yeah, earnings has pretty much petered out now. We, I think we've got 95% or something like that of, of the S&P 500 was reported now. Uh, there are a few to come in. You, you mentioned um, uh, Peloton in, in uh, just before we spoke, uh, but there's not many to come. Uh, and so <laughs> you're sort of back back again where we, we, where we started. But speaking of the VIX, sometimes it leads, sometimes the VIX lags, uh, and it really depends where the, how important that risk sentiment is to the, to, uh, to the equity market bolt. Um, you've mentioned ESG in your notes as well. Um, is anyone still investing on ESG? Personally, it matters a lot to me, but I despise greenwash. Uh, so yes, uh, we uh, as a, as an index company are incredibly heavily engaged. There's a lot of, of client demand for, for new indices, different ways to, to integrate values, if you like, not just uh, ESG, broad ESG, but but things like climate or really specific things. Um, there are still uh, investors who are looking for new ways, new products, new indices, uh, and, and I still see it. Uh, as something of a, of a mega trend, uh, and you always see ebbs and flows in the, in these things. The the energy sector and traditional fossil fuel based energy, in particular, uh, has had an absolutely fantastic run up in terms of performance this year, as you may well have noticed. Uh, and and flows do are always aware, uh, acutely aware, I think, uh, of of performance. Uh, and so I think that's part of why we've seen a, a mild. Uh, a reduction in, in sort of the, the, the top level flows into ESG. From my perspective, looking at the conversations we're having with our clients, um, th- that's that's still a major, major theme. And, and you know, it, with the split as well, acknowledge that you know some people really focusing on climate, some people focus, focusing on, on other values or, or aspects that they're looking to integrate. Tim, good to see you. Thanks so much for getting up for us. Tim Edwards, Global Head of Index Investment Strategy at S&P Dow Jones Indices. Bit of news this morning from Credit Suisse. The bank has named Dixit, Dixit Joshi its new CFO as the Swiss lender continues its C-suite reshuffle following last month's appointment of Ulrich Kuhner as Chief Executive. Joshi will take over from David Mathers from October 1st. 
Francesca McDonough will be COO and Michael Ronghetti will be interim CEO of the Asset Management Unit. Just a brief comment. Of course, we were out at Credit Suisse for the last set of earnings, a pre-tax loss of, uh, what was it, over a billion uh, Swiss franc. The new management team are, well, still taking a scalpel to investment banking. They're still... Uh, aiming to cut about a billion um, out of costs. Interesting, this uh, new uh, lineup. I guess this is the new CEO and uh, Axel Lehman, the chairman, doing the football manager thing and just reshuffling the team, hopefully with the ambition of uh, achieving the goals they've set out. Market's got zero faith in it. I'm sorry to say, I, I wish them well. I do. I, I like to see European companies do well, and I yeah. like to see European investment banks do well as well. But you look at that chart on the board, <clears throat> yeah. you look at all the false dawns, uh, and, at the, and I can say this, this is not even me kind of editorialising. Right. This is like looking at the price of Credit Suisse compared to where the price of Credit Suisse was. This is a company <laughs> which is trading on a price to book for the next 12 months of 08 that is one of the lowest multiples. It is worse than Deutsche Bank at its lows as well. At the moment, the market is saying, we ain't buying this one on trust. We'll wait to see the results. And then maybe there'd be something quite exciting in terms of the share price reaction. But at the moment, if you're a Credit Suisse shareholder, nobody's trying to top up their holdings. The fact is, this is bombed out beyond belief. And I look at the five-year chart, they were 18 uh, Swissy 28 uh, in 2018, i.e. before the crisis. They're now trading five Swissy. There is zero faith in the recovery of this bank at the moment. Well, um, David Hero... Harris Associates right. increased their stake right. from 5.2% to over buying? 10%. Where did they start buying? Well, I don't know where they started buying. But well, they, they weren't 5 euros been, to 5 Swissy 20, was no, it? No, no, they, they, well, they've been adding at this price. Right, so they were so, wrong at a higher level. Uh, yeah, well, you could argue, yeah. So they've got it I mean, wrong so far. Yeah, well, um, it So they're dollar cost averaging. Well, no, just before you keep jumping in, let me just finish the point I'm making. They have got involved and they have increased their position, they've doubled their position because clearly they feel that an activist can bring some pressure to bear on the management team to turn around the results here. And I, I agree with you, I mean the share price speaks for itself. You can see that people have been selling out all the way down. Except there are some people like Harris Associates I guess who are topping up at this price because they think how much lower can it go. And there is always a point where, as you always argue, you find value. Yeah. There will be a point, there will be a price that is the right price for this bank. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, Credit, credit, credit Suisse is, is not uh, going to die tomorrow. It's got a relatively robust balance sheet. The question is, does it continue in its existing form? Or as Harris Associates are arguing, if this management team can't turn around the performance, break it up, sell it, realise the value of the different business units. In what market? In what do you what mean is, in what market? I mean in a stunningly distressed market for investment banking. You've only got to look at the, uh, the capital side of the business, the investment management side of the business. Everyone's scrambling for the same clients and the same Asian money and the same Middle East money. Now they can't get the Russian money as well. They're all chasing the same high, uh, super high net worth individuals, what have you. They're chasing the same deals, what have you. Uh, the same sponsored clients, the same private equity clients as well. Everyone's chasing the same business. And if you're Credit Suisse, you're not exactly going in with a best CV at the moment, are you? Uh, but look at the net interest income they're going to make from these higher interest rates. From the higher debt the, 
debt levels yeah. that uh, consumers and companies and governments have got as well with the greater risk of default and delinquency, did you just say? I don't think I said that, no, but yes. Did, no. uh, coming up on the programme, Beijing surprises the market again, slashing rates for the second time in just a few days. I'm told the podcast is absolutely... Very average. No, it's very good. Uh, in the lead up to the big central bank meeting in Jackson Hole next week, and for more on where the Fed policy is heading, check out the aforementioned Squawk Box podcast. We might even spell it right. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Hong Kong COVID cases hit a level not seen since March. The city recorded over 6,500 cases on Sunday, including 237 imported cases, and is reopening a massive expo centre at the airport to use as a holding centre for patients. China has cut its benchmark lending rate as Beijing moves to revive an economy shaken by rising coronavirus numbers and property sector problems. Sam joins us uh, with more on the story. So Sam, how much have they moved by? Good morning to you, Jeff. Well, what we saw today was the PBOC cutting that one-year loan prime rate, which is what most new and outstanding loans are based on by five basis points. So just a trim there, but it was really the five-year that was interesting. That largely influences the price of mortgages. That was a more hefty, substantial 15 basis point cut. So, of course, we have seen a bigger cut to the five-year than the one-year loan prime rate. And certainly what that signals to the market uh, is the policy makers desire to continue to help this struggling property sector because of course a lot of the data has continued to point to uh, consumer confidence remaining weak and certainly the property sector remaining fragile and so economists have certainly said that what we saw today in terms of these cuts was all about the property sector and it is very much needed of course because this is one of the biggest drags on the economy right now of course we do know it makes up for around uh, a quarter of GDP so this does come as we have seen the policymakers certainly trying to stabilize the property sector over in China at the moment. But the big question is, will this be enough to help the struggling real estate sector? And economists simply say it's not, but it certainly helps. And the market certainly like what they're seeing today. But the economists have certainly suggested that perhaps what the government really needs to do is ease some of these concerns in the property sector right now about uh, these uh, housing deliveries, these homes not being finished on time. Because, of course, we do know uh, that we have got these mortgage repayment boycotts going on at the moment. People actually protesting, not paying back their loans over worries about these unfinished projects. But as I say, all in all, not a huge surprise because the market was already surprised by the medium term lending facility rate cut last week. And that typically acts as a guide for that loan prime rate. So we have got the CSI 300 index sitting up around half of a percent right now at the moment. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.